When Royce told me this week she was going to send out a notice to everybody and invite everyone to come in costume, I didn't think you all would. (laughs) No. We have lots of candy left over. And so I want you to feel free to take some this morning. We're going to have some in the front. We're going to have some in the back. This is one of those occasions where you don't need to feel like you should just take one. (laughs) Okay, that's right. If you want to take five, six, twenty, feel free. Uh, Allison also would really like you to do that because it's around for Connor. (laughs) So, (laughs) of course, he is disappointed that there's no longer any good stuff in the stores. That'll be resolved in a few weeks. But um, feel free this morning to take as much as you would like. And um, I'll just leave it there. So I really appreciate the closing song as as we just sang because... We're going to have an interesting conversation today. This is one of those conversations where we're glad to realize and glad to recognize that the presence of the Holy Spirit does work and does seek to work in us and work through us, because we're going to talk about politics today. And again, as we talked about this issue last week, I jokingly said to to Rose and back, I said, so hopefully by the end of the message then you'll know how to vote this coming Tuesday. And then I went back to her and said, actually, if I give any kind of indication as to how you should vote, you can come up and kick me in the shins afterwards when we're done. Because that's not what we should be doing, is it? I don't think that's our role. But I do think in the reality of the context of how the church functions, we should have honest conversations about issues that really deal with life and talk about those things, look at those things, and not hide from them. So hopefully we can do that well. And hopefully as we work here, when we walk through this process, we will honor Christ, but we'll also think and we'll also process biblically and and socially the tensions that really do exist around us. This is also an important fact because as we're talking through this conversation of, I, I don't really, about all this God stuff and, and how people want to kind of just chuck it. This is one of those areas where people have chosen to chuck God because of politics. And, and overwhelmingly it's because of how the church at different times has responded, but then also how others have at different times responded to the political worldview. See gentlemanliness Kudos. Bravo. You know, chivalry's not dead. Wonderful. Now, we need to wrestle through these things. We need to have honest conversations about them. Now, here's the other thing that's also very, very true. We're not a monolithic group, are we? So in our presence are individuals who lean to one side of the the aisle or versus the other side. Literally, we're we're divided, okay? Now, I don't think this represents literally the political framework of of where all of us necessarily are, but even even from the elders on down, we have different perspectives, different views, and and we pull the levers in different ways. So even as we have this conversation, we want to be careful because also in this whole conversation, as we said last week, Jesus loves... Those who push or pull or punch, whatever it is, the D button and the R button. And there's a bunch of other buttons there that people at times push. Jesus loves them all and desires all of them to know him and to walk with him. Amen. So we need to have an honest conversation and hopefully we can do that with balance. I also will say up front, I'm not seeking to step on toes. If I do, I apologize. Let me know and I'll try to step back. Okay? Fair enough? Very good. Let's have a word of prayer.
and then we'll jump into it. Father, I just thank you so very much for your goodness to us, for your richness and kindness to us. And Father, as we walk through things this morning, we would ask that you would be honored and glorified in our discussion and in our conversation. Father, I ask you of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, as you look at the outline, you're going to see a couple of things. You're going to see two points. So we're going to kind of talk about a couple of things that are happening in our culture, and then we're going to kind of look at some biblical responses to the things that are taking place. You're going to see the problem of politics, and you're also going to see that elections have consequences. We're going to talk about those two things, and then we're going to kind of back up and then walk through a couple of biblical frameworks. So let's start with the, the problem of politics. Here's the problem of politics. And again, as we talked about last week, and as we wrestle through this framework, there has been a slide and a shift in our culture. So as we talk about the, the, the relativism, as we talk about the dismissal of, of, or the embracing of a worldview that says there is no right, there is no wrong, as we have wrestled through this, and as these things start to influence and impact our culture, the new world of morality has taken place. Why? Because we have disconnected morality from a biblical framework in our culture. And so now in our culture, there is a wide framework of morality. So the new morality questions the morality of the historical evangelical support of Republicans. Now, let's just be honest. As we look at our culture, it's pretty obvious that historically, evangelicals have been more Republican in their mindset than Democrat. Okay? So I'm not going to bounce away from that and shy from that and say, oh, no, that's not really true. That is true. It goes way back. Okay, we can, it's not just the new, it's not just a recent political scheme. I've mentioned multiple times my frustration or irritation with the moral majority, but the moral majority, Jerry Falwell and all that framework and all that was thoroughly aligned with and was seeking to utilize their Christian influence to speak into the Republican Party and to give life and strength to the Republican Party. We recognize on a regular basis when political seasons hit, you listen on the news and you listen how the conservative side of things courts the evangelical Christian community. Okay? So we're not going to try to pretend that that does not exist in our culture. But here's part of what takes place in our culture, and this is part of where some individuals have stepped away from the faith, and this is part of why some individuals look at Christianity and say, I'm not sure I want to go there, because they look at the political landscape and they see the political attitude or a political mindset, and they back up. Now, in that conversation, the conservative side of the conversation would come back and say, we hear your response, but we don't, our frustration, the conservative side would say, is that the ecumenical have departed from biblical framework of morality or understanding of some of those things, and they fully support a liberal agenda. And how come we don't have an equal conversation? That's what a conservative framework will say. But in this framework, as we're talking about we are, we need to recognize where most evangelical worldviews sit. Now, have something to read. In the process of working through this series, I've watched a bunch of videos. 
I've listened to a bunch of what other, other people have had to say, and I've also read a few books. This is an interesting book. It's Before You Lose Your Faith. It's uh, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. And it's very interesting because what it is is it's ultimately a compendium or a collection of a series of individuals talking about their journey and talking about the things that they have experienced. So it's not a single author talking. There's an editor really collecting many different people's perspectives but speaking into this process and conversation of deconstruction. I'm going to read from three different individuals this morning. Here's the first person I want to talk, I want us to listen to. He's on page 19. And uh, his, his name is Ian Harbour. And here's an, he's an individual who, in his journey, departed the faith, walked away from the faith, and then who, who, in that journey, came back to faith. And this is what he had to say. And he talks to a group called the Liturgists, which were a group of people that were moving away from faith. He says, as the liturgist journey progressed, they fell in increasing lockstep with the progressive platform of the political left. It reminded me of the conformity of conservative Christians to whatever the Republican told them to, Republican party told them to believe. When the 2016 election ended, I had a strange experience. I shared the progressive concern for the country, but I also saw them using the same litmus tests that the conservatives, that the conservative evangelicals of my youth had used, just now on the other side of the aisle. Now if you hold to historic Christian sexual ethic, you were a backward bigot. If you considered abortion morally wrong, you were anti-woman. Progressive, progressive, progressives had become just as fundamentalists, as the fundamentalists they despised. Only now, instead of a litmus test being traditional values, it was wokeness. If you don't toe the party line of progressive orthodoxy, you are an outcast, a heretic. Now, this is an individual who's talking about their journey. Now, one of the things you'll come back to is he doesn't come back and say, I've become conservative, a conservative Republican. He doesn't identify that. But what he is talking about is the reality of the tension between expectation that is placed on people that if you are in this group or if you identify in this category, this is your expectation of how you will vote or how you will be represented in the polling process. It affects how people engage with Jesus. Now, we take it to another level. We have an either-or choice in politics, overwhelmingly. Now, we may not like this. I think I have it right. If I understand correctly, Andy Kim is going to try to establish a third rail in our two-rail system. I wish him luck in accomplishing that. And maybe if someone were to accomplish that, maybe we would have a a broader conversation and a broader voice to express ourselves in our political discourse. But the reality is that in our discourse, we have an either-or context to choose from. It's just part of the reality of our framework. Overwhelmingly, with very few exceptions, now in New York City, there is an independent running for mayor, And he might have a good chance of winning the independent vote and winning the elections. The the two primary individuals are an independent and a Democrat. That's an anomaly in our culture today. 
overwhelmingly, the options before us are Republican or Democrat. We have a binary process. We may hate it. We may wish it was radically different. But wishing and desiring doesn't change the reality of the circumstances that confront us. Now here's the tension of the issues that have taken place. And as you can see in the notes, evangelicals historically have been vilified for their flaws. Fairly so. Now, whether you liked our former president or not, he was a really flawed guy. He was a really flawed guy. But the reality of the conversation also, though, is our current president also is a flawed guy. The problem is we create straw people. And then we whip each other with those straw people. But this still feeds into the environment. It still feeds into the atmosphere of our culture. And it's really tough to avoid. Now, I would also say we're deeply, deeply fractured over our tribal identities and loyalties. This is kind of a new concept. I have a book on my desk who talked but from an individual. I could have brought it in. He talks about tribes and read most of it. He talks about how tribal leaders lead. And all through our culture today are various tribes. Okay? So evangelical, tribe. Ecumenical, tribe. Okay? Republican, tribe. Democrat, a tribe. But there are other tribes. Okay? Here, let, me, let me give you an example of the, of the roughness of this conversation. One of the tribes in our culture is Black Lives Matter. Now let me ask you a question. Do Black Lives Matter? I didn't hear you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the tension and the difficulty in our culture is that at others express themselves, they would say, blue lives matter. Or they would say, all lives matter. The problem in the conversation and the problem in the tribal debate is that when someone would come and say, well, I believe blue lives also matter, or I believe all lives matter, what happened in the conversation is that because you didn't advocate or support one position, you were dismissed or shut down or shut out because you weren't validating my particular tribal perspective. And that's across our culture on many, many, many different levels. And so what happens is we start being pigeonholed because we have to say this matters, but if we say that this matters, we're we're being told we're dismissing this over here, when in reality our attitude is not that we dismiss this over here. We agree with this and we agree with this. But the problem in our culture today is you can't say I agree with both. You have to choose one or you have to choose the other. And the tribal framework speaks into our culture loudly. And it speaks loudly also into the political process. And we have to recognize that as we have a conversation with people. Now here's the other reality. We can look at all of the 
conservative individuals that have come into office. For the conservatives, they would look at Reagan, and Reagan would be the conservative hero. For the democratic worldview, FDR would be the hero. One of the things you need to recognize as you look at the landscape, since FDR, the political landscape has been continually shifting left. Not a single democratic position, not a single democratic leader has halted or altered the gradual shift in a leftward direction. Not a single one. Now, that's not a question of right or wrong, bad or good. But it's a statement of reality of what is, and it feeds into the conversation. So when we wrestle with the politics and we look at the issues of politics, part of the block, part of the hurdle, part of the obstacles in the way for individuals that are Christians who are deciding to say to themselves, I think I'm going to consider stepping back and walking away because of the political landscape, or for people who are considering Christianity and saying, do I want to embrace Jesus? And they wrestle through the political landscape that exists. This is a real issue. The whole conversation of politics is a real issue. And it's something we need to be honest about and then deal with or wrestle with as we function both corporately and individually. Here's the other side of that coin. Elections do have consequences. One of the famous things that President Obama said after he won, as he stood in front of a a majority of Republicans, he looked at them and said, hey, just want to let you know elections have consequences. Now, I don't remember if he regretted saying that at this point in time or not, because it was kind of a poke. But the reality is he captured and identified something that is absolutely true. Elections do have consequences. So I I just kind of hit a couple of these things. One of the big things that we talk about, Joan and I, as we go home, we pass um, this company that's a bug company. They kill bugs. And they always have on their billboard, bug of the month. And so recently, one of their bugs on their billboard, the bug of the month is high gas prices. Okay? It's annoying to them. Okay? But here's the reality. Elections have consequences because there are underlying policies that drive the things that are in front of us. And we're going to get to some of that. But today we're looking at the reality that there's a difference in gas prices and that flows directly from the election process. Okay? That's tangible. That's a tangible component of that. So, we look at originalist judges versus progressive judges, or as someone might say, an activist judge. And who gets placed in the court? Does an originalist judge get placed in the courts, or does a progressive judge get placed in the courts? That's the reality of elections. And in fact, part of the conversation in our last presidential election cycle was, do we expand the Supreme Court or not? The reality is the election process does have consequences. Now, how about the whole contrasting in our differing states over the handling of the COVID crisis? While there are national mandates and national expectations, 
One of, the, one of the amazing, wonderful things about the United States is that while we have an overarching governmental process that leads our nation and kind of manages our nation, we have 50 experiments going all the time around us, which filters up to the national, filters down to the local. But we've had a chance over these last 18 months to look at the differences and how different election processes and different people being elected impacted our cultures through the COVID crisis. Now, we can look at DeSantis in Florida. He's probably the, the primary one that conservative individuals have looked at. Or we can look in our own backyard at how things have taken place here. But federally, there is a mandate for governmental employees that they need to have the COVID vaccine. That is going out. When, when Kyle came home to go to my mother's memorial service a week and a half ago, he has some good buddies that are in landscaping. One of the things that his buddies were telling Kyle were that they may not be able to collect unemployment this year. A lot of landscape guys, a lot of guys who mow lawns and all that kind of stuff, they work like dogs from the spring into the late fall, and then they take about four months off over the winter. They collect unemployment, and then they go back and work like dogs when it's time for spring to kick in again. But some of them are saying, we may not be able to collect unemployment. And the reason we may not be able to collect unemployment is because we haven't been vaccinated, and they're starting to identify that they're going to connect unemployment to the receiving of the vaccine. Now, one of the recent things that also surfaced in the conversation was that Murphy was not saying yet he's going to have a mandate for certain things. But some of that has come out that he probably will. Now, there's a whole conversation as to whether we agree with that or not. But what I'm identifying is that elections do have consequences. And the people we elect do impact, do affect the reality of our lives. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get to, to the bottom, as we talk about some things. Underlying all of this and speaking to all of this is the reality that we have two sets of media. We have two sets of worldviews speaking into our lives. We may like that, we may not like that. Maybe some of you, like me, have turned off the TV. We've turned off the news. Because to sit and spend any time listening to the news is so agitating and irritating that we just got to shut it off. But all of this feeds into the process. Am I making sense? I hope I haven't stepped on toes yet, but that's the landscape we exist in. And that's the tension that exists. So here are some responses that I would encourage us to think about. Our identity, I forgot to read something, and I want to go back and read it because it was, it was very good. So please forgive me. When we were talking about, we're deeply fractured by our tribal identities and loyalties, one of the individuals in here said some things that I thought were fantastic. So let me read that. This is uh, Samuel James. He says, this is what he says. 
When it comes to Christians and politics, far too often the questions that rule the day is not, is this according to what God has said in Scripture, true, good, and beautiful? Instead it is, what are my kind of people saying about this? Or even worse, what are the wrong kind of people saying about this? Because the opposite must be true. This is what happens when right-wing Christian, when right, when right-wing Christians make peace with cruelty towards immigrants because it's our, it, because it owns the libs. This is what happens when left-wing, wing, left-wing Christians fail to speak up for unborn, the unborn because doing so would put them alongside people they dislike. When it's winning that matters and not wisdom, people outsource their convictions to keep their tribe. I felt I had to read that, because, and I have one more that I'm going to read, in, two more that I'll read in a few moments. So, responses. Our, our identity needs to be with Jesus, and our focus needs to be heavenward. Now, have any of you interacted with individuals who are so caught up, they're Christian, but they're so caught up in the political process that things are going to rise or fall based on the political environment? Any of you interacted with anybody like that? I have. So let's walk through this. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me get there. Hebrews chapter 12. This is right after the great hall of fame of faith. And in light of all of that, the writer is saying, therefore, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And notice what he says here. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. The challenge in our political process, for many of us as Christians, is do we keep our eyes in Jesus in this process, or do we lose sight of Jesus in this process and to start to get caught up in the political process? Now, we have a responsibility in that political process, we're going to touch on that in a moment, but do we lose perspective? And do we start to go too far in one direction or the other? The writer then follows up a little bit below this in verses 14 and 15. And I wanted to go here because I think it's key because I see it taking place. He says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. What's the objective? Is the objective that we elect the right politician? Or is the objective that we will help people to see Jesus? Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. How many roots of bitterness in the last four, six, eight years have you been seeing springing forth because people have been focused 
on a political process instead of being focused on Jesus. It's a real tension point. Why? Because sometimes we get out of balance and we start to bring focus to the wrong things. Because we get caught up in what's going on around us. We get caught up in the political conversations. We get caught up in the political arguments. We get caught up in the political debate. We get worked up by the media communication. And we start to lose focus on the priority, which is representing and communicating Jesus. I wrote this here in the notes. A loyalty to a political philosophy will not fulfill the glory of God or bring about his kingdom on earth. So I'm going to go back to my whipping post. And I'm going to pull out the moral majority and I'm going to smack it some more. Here's what so ticks me off. Is sin light better than sin unrestrained? Is that what we want to believe? Is that what we want to represent? Do we want to say that our world is so much better if we have just this area of sin and not these areas of sin? Is that what we're saying? Or are we saying that this area of political party will accomplish our agenda of making it comfortable for us to live, while this over here will make it uncomfortable for us to live? I don't ever remember seeing anything in Scripture that says we should be comfortable anywhere. Again, I keep on pulling this one up. I might eventually stop. But it just, it frustrates me because it's such a misapplication of what it means as a church to function biblically in our world. It is such an egregious error of what it means to be the person that Jesus has called his church to be. Because basically what they said in that conversation is that those of you who don't agree with us, it's okay if you go to hell. We're going to represent this position. We're going to represent this area. The rest of you, we really don't care. And that just doesn't jive with my worldview of who God is and what God is saying to us in our world. And we just should not be functioning in that manner. Because Jesus cares about everyone and desires all that would come to know him as his Savior. Not just those who might think like you and me. And here's the reality. We're just a handful of people in a country. We have billions of people around our world who think crazily different than all of us. And Jesus loves them as well and wants them to come to know him. And I think when we start to tie our wagon to a political ideology, we so miss 
the mission that Jesus has called us to function in. One of the guys in here said, this is an issue of worship. I was intrigued, and I, as I listened, I really agree with him. Page 67, it was Samuel James who talked about those other things. But here's what he says on page 67. He says, a faith that goes beyond politics is centered on worship. You may ask, what does worship have to do with politics? He says, the answer is everything. In the evangelical church in the Bible Belt, compromising what the Bible says about justice in order to keep in step with its preferred political tribe, that's a worship issue. A 20-something college student who rejects Jesus' claims because she can't imagine condemning people who want to live out their free sexual preferences and identities, that's a worship issue. What happens when politics and faith collide reveals something fundamental about our worship. And he's right on the money. Because you see, we are devoted and passionate about what we worship. And what we worship takes priority in our lives. And our lives align, and our affinities align with those things that we worship. And what happens in these contexts is it's tough to worship Jesus when we are dismissing his values and embracing something else. It's really tough to worship him when we do that. Totally agreed. So let's go to Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 31. And we have talked about this a number of times recently. We're going to come back to this and look at this again. You hear this conversation. Again, one of the scribes approached Uh, Jesus, and when he heard him debating and saw that Jesus answered well, he asked him, what command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he continues, and he says, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And then he goes on and says, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus picked out the social political pariah. He says, that guy's your neighbor. The guy you politically hate, the guy you socially hate, the guy you want nothing to do with, and the guy who, if your daughter brings this guy home and says, I want to marry him, you're going to take him out back and he's never going to appear again. That's the guy who's your neighbor. That's the guy I expect you to love. And what's happened in our culture? We've drawn this line and we say, these people I will love and these people I will hate. These people I will embrace. These people I will despise. These people I'm going to support and these people to the best of my ability, I'm going to tear them down. How can we worship Jesus well? How can we worship our God well when we disregard 
loving our neighbor. When we disregard loving those that God has placed around us. And here's what's crazy. You can mostly pick the house you live in. The apartment you reside in. You can mostly pick the place you live. But you don't have any say about the person who lives next door. When that house goes up for sale, you pray. And then you wait to see who it's going to be. But you don't get to pick and choose who your neighbor's going to be. But what does Jesus say to us? Love your neighbor. Don't, no, take your trash and throw it over the fence because he's an idiot. Not, no, park your car in his driveway because you're trying to annoy him. No, love him. Love her. Love them. Because it's directly connected to loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Now, in our culture and in our world, do people really see the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, really loving our neighbors? Is that really visible? Is it really obvious that we love Jesus by loving our neighbors? I'm going to come back to something Connor said a couple weeks ago. I, I thought, as we, Connor and I talked about it afterwards, I said, I, I think for me, that was one of the key, strongest, most impactful moments of, the, of your message. When he talked about the reality of, what are we known for? When people talk about what we are known for, when they, they talk about how they identify us, do people know us and do people identify us because of our relationship with Jesus and our walk with Jesus? Or do they identify us and know us because of something else? We should be known for who we love and who we represent, which is Jesus. Not for throwing stones. Not for building walls to block each other out. Building barriers. It's an issue of worship. Totally agree. It's an issue of worship. Another guy raised something in here that I thought was just outstanding. He says, if you can't live out the fruit of the Spirit, something is off. When I heard him say that, I went, oh, that is so true. That is just so true. And are people seeing us, the fruit of the Spirit, are they seeing the character of Christ in us, or are they seeing something else? Page 82 to 83. This is a third individual. His name is Thaddeus Williams. He's asking a series of questions. And here's, here's the context. He says, as I seek social justice, am I heeding the grandfatherly wisdom of John Perkins? No, that's a different question. You should read that part too. But what I want to... I, in my notes, I highlighted it, but I put stars to the couple spots that I'm going to ask. Here's, the, here's a question. Here's the fourth question. As I seek social justice, am I replacing the fruit of the Spirit with resentment, self-righteousness, and rage? Now, by the way, John Perkins was a slave. 
just to, since it referenced that he was a slave. Had Christians as masters. And they used their Christianity as a justification to keep him as a slave. Later on, he became a preacher for Christ. And as he talks about this, and, and, and as he's quoted here, he talks about the fact that, listen, I embraced Jesus because of who Jesus is. I didn't embrace Jesus because of the ugliness of what these other people have done to me. And just because they wore the label of Christian, it doesn't mean that they were behaving like Christ, reflecting Christ, or representing the values of Christ. In fact, they weren't. I embrace Jesus because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done. I've embraced Jesus because of the character and integrity of who Jesus is, not because of the flawed ways in which others have represented him. And I appreciated that. But let me read what he has to say about attitude and mindset when we deal with social justice. He says, The pursuit of real justice bears righteous fruit. Counterfeit justice does not, or counterfeit justice does not. If the pursuit of justice bring, bearing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the other fruits of the... Let me restate that. Is your pursuit of justice bearing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the other fruits of the Holy Spirit? Or is it fostering rotten fruit? Are you filled with more or less suspicion, anxiety, and bitterness? Do you assume bigotry, hate, and ignorance are the best or only explanations for why others disagree with you? Do you love the unique image bearers of God before you? Or do you indulge in prejudice based on skin tone, gender, or status? It's a great question. What's bubbling up out of our lives as we engage? What's it producing in us? Now Jesus, as he dealt with some issues, when Jesus went into the temple and he cleared the temple, he was all laid back, right? He kind of sat over there and he just went, I have to be careful I don't sit on your hat. <laughs> he didn't sit over there, oh, this is just so bad. I'm going to talk to the Father about this. No. If anyone represented the fruit of the Spirit, it would be Jesus. We see them up there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, or goodness, fruit, faithfulness. Go to the next part. Verse 23. Gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus exercised those fruit even as he was clear in the temple. There's a context where Jesus said, be angry, but do not sin. Most of us struggle to be angry and not sin. Jesus could do it. Jesus could be angry and still be living out the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because there was wickedness taking place in a temple. They were turning the worship of God into mockery. They were turning the worship of God into a joke. And they were blocking and barring and hindering people who should have had access to the worship of God and they were keeping people out. And so Jesus went in and he cleared the place out. Twice. And I would thoroughly suggest to you Jesus was able to do that 
bearing the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And Jesus carried the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Why? And why do I know that? Because Jesus was allowing the Holy Spirit to work through him. And everything that Jesus did, he was doing through the power and the working of the Spirit of God in him. Again, we've said this in the past, but that's how come you can also follow the example of Jesus. Because Jesus set the model, he set the example of how to walk and live in the Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives, it is something that we can also do as we follow the example of Christ. But if you are wrestling through issues in the political landscape, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control are not the things bubbling up out of you, but rather rage or anger or bitterness or resentment and other things are bubbling up out of you, I would encourage you to really take a step back and really do some inventory. Because if that is what's bubbling up out of your life, you're probably not doing a good job reflecting the character and the image of Christ. We need to really ask, am I reflecting well the image of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit as I engage in a conversation? Four. Looking beyond the names on the ballot and looking at the values and platforms they represent can be hard. It can challenge us when we biblically choose the underlying values for which we will stand. It's not always easy. Let's look at Timothy. This is of the joy of going back and making sure your notes are correct because I looked back and I had put 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, and I was trying to read. I said, this is not at all what I was looking for. I realized I put the wrong Timothy down. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives. Now, catch this. Praying for those that lead us, so that we can live lives in all godliness and dignity. Not so that we can live comfortably, not so that we can live freely, not so we can live independently, but so that we can live lives with all godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We need to recognize why we are here. We're here to represent Christ. Holiness and dignity. That's tough when we live in a binary decision process. It's tough 
to sift through. When each candidate has things we can support and we don't support. When each platform has things that make us smile and make us cringe. Here's some of the things that I said we were going to catch up to, so let's catch up to a couple of them. We have the whole conversation of abortion. That's a major issue. You and I, we are created in the image of God. And every child that is aborted is a child that has been created in the image of God. Do you understand that many from the millennial generation on have shifted more and more and more to a pro-life worldview? And they've done that because science continues to expose and reveal the fact that we're not just talking about a conglomeration of cells. It's becoming more and more evident that there is life in conception. It's a major question. It's a major debate. Let's talk about the pipeline. President Trump opened it. President Biden closed it down. So we have the pipeline, we have cheaper gas, and we have jobs. But there's a versus. Versus disrupting and disrespecting tribal sacred lands. The pipeline was going to plow right through tribal sacred lands. And those of you who don't understand or haven't been alert of some of that, that was a major issue going on with the pipeline. Major issue. There's all sorts of cultural change that has taken place up in North Dakota. All sorts of cultural change. And all sorts of social disruption. Old people who have lived in their community for years could no longer live in their communities because their apartment that used to be $600 when the, when the lease renewed was now $2,000 or $2,500. Why? Because now the owners of the apartments are going to cater to the fast money that's coming in with well drilling. In a pipeline. Those are real issues that really affect our culture and that really affect people's wrestling match. What do I choose? What do I choose? How about we flip the script? We have lower gas prices, energy independence, low inflation, versus reversing these for the Green New Deal. Now, before you roll your eyes, What's part of the argument with the Green New Deal? The part of the argument of the Green New Deal is about preserving our culture. Not preserving our culture, but preserving our environment. And a real concern that we are wreaking havoc in our world. Now you may or may not agree with that. But underlying that is not just the Green New Deal throw darts at it. Underlying that is a worldview and a value system that is concerned for what is taking place in our world. We may or may not agree with that, but there are real issues that sit underneath the debate. How about all of the justice issues? All of the justice conversations that take place, and there's many. I just hit a few here. Racial justice, gender justice, there's sexual identity questions and issues that take place in our culture. That's a major part of the conversation in our culture today. All sorts of justice issues. I've enjoyed watching Shark Tank over the years. 
It's kind of a fun show. Almost on every show, at least one, if not more, of the individuals pitching their businesses to the sharks is showing up with a social justice issue of concern. It's an issue of preserving our environment. Heard about that recently. For every, every, everything we sell, we, 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 we seed a section with oysters and they help clean up the environment. I remember when I first heard about Tom's shoes. It was at the beginning of the, the push of social justice issues. Or the, or the guy who pushed water and, and doing wells. But I, I remember Tom's shoes in particular. And I was motivated to buy a pair of Tom's shoes. Why? Because if you bought a pair of Tom's shoes, they would give a pair of shoes to someone in a needy country who doesn't have a pair of shoes. And all sorts of disease and all sorts of other problems that wreaked havoc in the culture and in their environment because they didn't have shoes to protect their feet. This is 15, almost 20 years ago. This is at the beginning of the trend. There are all sorts of social issues that we wrestle and we debate. But all of that has to get sifted in our thought process. All of that has to get sifted in our evaluation process. Here's the question. As I do all of that, how well am I reflecting Jesus, Jesus' values, Jesus' character? How well am I doing that? when I choose the values that I'm going to pull a lever on. Individuals are watching us and looking at us. And they're going to ask questions. How deep does your faith go? And what's the substance of who you are and what you believe? Do you just pull a particular level, a lever because you've chosen to be a part of an identity group, you've chosen to be a part of a tribe, and come whatever comes, you're going to pull that lever, push that button, make that X, make or, or check? Or is it more than that? Or can they have a conversation with you, and can they see the substance and the character of Christ in the choices and the decisions you make? Because you're not just going to function in a tribal way, but rather you're going to function as a child of God to reflect the character and the integrity of Christ as you sift and weigh the responsibility before you to make a decision. We need to be more than just a machine for a political party. We need to be the children of God. Followers of Jesus who reflect his character and his integrity to our world. Our world is looking for the real deal. They're looking for real Christians to stand up and be counted for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for your goodness to us. 
And Father, as we continue to wrestle this whole debate of how we reflect you well, Father, I would ask that you would give us wisdom. Father, the truth of the matter is each one of us is individually going to stand before you to give an account. So Father, help us as we walk this path to be ready to do that to the best of our ability so that we reflect you well. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.